Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. In this episode, we will be discussing the elusive and much debated subject of happiness in the workplace. I am delighted to welcome Catherine Owler, an experienced wellness practitioner and wellbeing consultant, and also author of the book, Fun at Work, A Journey of Acceptance, Joy, and True Meaning. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Susie. It's really wonderful to be here with you. Likewise. Thank you for accepting. Catherine, you have a a lifelong interest in well-being and vocational experience, but specialising in fun and happiness at work. So you've done research and written a book, as we said, on this subject, but with a view to understanding the subject further, but not only from an individual perspective, but also demystifying this conversation, which is coming up more and more in the workplace but also looking at how to practically support and guide people on that personal transformation journey that this often entails. So this subject for me is clearly important and a quest we share, particularly as we move out of the pandemic, which has caused people, I think, to ask themselves these very questions of what brings me joy and what is happiness for me, particularly from a professional point of view. So given the effects of the pandemic on mental health and well-being in the workplace, I think this subject is just becoming more and more talked about. Hence, I think the quest to demystify it and understand exactly what it means. I mean, we were chatting before the show, and I know you learned a lot of this firsthand, so to speak, before you set up your current company, Joy's Works, which specializes in wellness. So can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got from your dream job, in inverted commas, or so you thought, to your Mm -hmm. actual purpose, if I may call it like that? Sure. Thank you, Susie. Yeah, so I've been interested in enjoying my work since I guess I was, I can remember. It's always Mm. been a goal for me and I don't, I'm not sure quite where it came from, but I know as a child, as a in school and then in university, I was a bit of a girly swat, you know, I was, (laughs) I was, always working hard I mean I wasn't always top student but I kind of had that drive Mm. to to keep at it because I felt like my that was what you were meant to do Mm. I guess I was getting my feedback from parents and teachers and then my university lecturers that this is what you did and if you worked hard this was a good thing and I had this sense somehow there was going to be this grand reward I wanted to have a great time at work (laughs) also I was it was in the 80s the motto girls can do anything and I was thinking okay this is going to be great you know I'm going to have this career and I was um, I think I I had this sense though maybe part of me had the sense that it maybe wasn't going to be quite as straightforward as that and so I kind of kept when I came to the end of one degree Mm -hmm. I sort of thought "Mm, maybe I'm not quite ready and I I just kept doing degrees (laughs) so in the end I did a master's and then a PhD in sociology at that point that was it really I had to move on and so this was time to move out into the world the, the world of work, full-time career work. Mm. I'd obviously done part-time jobs Mm. prior. And yeah, and then there was this real sense of disillusion because work is work. And even at that point, I had to prove myself, you know, I had to start again. And so this set me on a kind of quest in my mind and and then finally I I was in Australia at that point and I returned to New Zealand where I where I'm from. And took a job, but was really curious to look around me and see uh, people 
putting up with things at work, you know, stress or a bad chair and that sort of thing. It's sort mm-hmm. of a mark of honour. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I, I met my husband and we formed a company supporting employers to support their staff, which sort of emerged out of this curiosity I had about about work and its experience and I, I began pieces of research so that was kind of the first step for me but then more recently I stepped away from that business because I did as I said you said before I found my dream job it was actually back in a university environment helping a lot of people and I was very it's very satisfying it was a lovely team it was kind of like yeah I thought someone was going to pinch me and you know I'd wake up from this amazing <laughs> job so I really really loved it After about a year, even though it had been challenging, after about a year, at times I sort of thought, hmm, you know, maybe I'm a little bit bored. I've sort of mastered the job, but Mm. I didn't pay too much attention. And I think this is something that we we often don't do when most most things are going well. And I had a good team, but then over the next couple of years, things did become quite complex for me and I because we we were restructured a number of times. And it was at that point that things really started to change. And I don't I hadn't had that experience before and I didn't really, I think, have the tools to navigate that. Mm. And I realized I had gone from loving my job to three years later being miserable. I recognized that mm. but I didn't know what to do with it. That's uh, <laughs> That sort of really precipitated an, an exploration of what it might take personally to turn a job around I ultimately left that job but had started some research before I left where I had was interviewing and exploring the experiences of people who claimed to have always had fun at work in any job they've ever had and this was I was fascinated (laughs) to know their secrets both for myself and more recently piece of research and other pieces of research I've done have created a grounding for me for for the coaching work I now do Mm. so yeah that's my story really of and and my passion Mm. Um, and and thank you for sharing that with us and I think you know I identified with various bits along the way of, of your story I think that's what we learn isn't it that if you work hard and you get good results then you'll get a good job and when you get a good job if you work hard and you do what's asked of you, then you will get another good job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's quite um, a modern question, so to speak, to, to ask ourselves if we actually like what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing and, and things like that. But I think it's very interesting the fact that you went from an observation that you were unhappy or bored or not okay, let's just say not okay because I don't want to, to put other words on it, then you finally researched it and then built something out of how you'd been feeling and what and you how you could support and guide other people. What would you say your main learnings from that experience were and how have they actually shaped the journey to what you're doing today? Mm. Yeah, I think my learnings were have been quite prof- on a quite a profound mm. level personally. Mm. And you no know, people, you know, you hear that saying, no regret. I think that looking back, I experienced some regret. Mm -hmm. And when I was in that job that I had loved, and then things had changed, and I was struggling, and I was trying to work out a way, I was was trying to work out a way of moving forward and turning it around. I was looking Mm -hmm. around for help and guidance, but I, I couldn't seem to find it. And 
ultimately, as I said, I had left. Now, my regret is obviously retrospective because yeah, I I don't feel I had those skills. But nevertheless, now knowing what I know, mm. I, I can look back and I can see how I could have shifted and changed things and turned things around. To some extent, we, we never know where things might lead. I mm. might have left in the end. But I think that sense of leaving was more an escape, yeah. <laughs> an escape yeah. from misery into something that might be better, hopefully. And there was a sense of relief in that. But it wasn't so much a proactive move around, yeah. okay, I've explored fully what I might be able to do here, what I might be able to achieve. I've put in pl- place some strategies. I have, to a certain extent, turned things around. But now I'm making a decision about yeah. proactively moving into something else. So. I think that that regret, for me, it has actually fueled a real desire to learn mm. and then share that with others. And I, and I know that can be that's a, a fairly common a common experience with a lot mm. of people who've gone through real challenges and hadn't known quite yeah. how to navigate them, have learned a lot, mm. and then have this desire to share it. Mm. And I think often we don't necessarily know what we want, but we're very sure of what we don't want anymore. So that. That's quite a good starting point, isn't it? And do you think you went back into research because it was an area that was known to you and that you liked doing it and that represented something where you were happy once? Or was it just about stepping out of where you were? Actually, when I left, I did something quite different. Okay. I needed a break. Right. Um, I actually went and learned a language for, for four or five months uh, <laughs> cool. in, a, in a program. Mm-hmm. And then it was at that point I actually moved back into the, the company with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, research has always been something that has sort of accompanied my journey and I've dipped in and out of. Right. I have had research roles or I have done <clears throat> research in mm. and accompanying other roles. And for me, research is about – and writing is about – when I look back on, the, on what I've done, taking a challenge that I personally have had and I can't understand and trying to work it out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. not fully, you know, it's sort of a bit selfish in a way. But then that's allowed me to help others. So mm. it's really, yeah, it's it's like, gosh, what's going on? Um, yeah. And so in a way that research and writing and working through is, a, is, is always a process of personal transformation for me. Absolutely. From A to Z. Mm. It reminds me of the journaling discussion, you know, what, once you've formalised it outside your head. In whatever way that whether you paint or you play an instrument or you write, I think that helps to take a step back and have a look at exactly what we're dealing with, which, you know, if I come back to the research you did to get empirical evidence around this subject and a better understanding around a concept which is often quite elusive for people, I think happiness, much talked about. So for you, happiness at work, what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think it's multi-layered. For me. I've in my current business, I've called my I've called that the happiness at work coach. And okay. I recognize that it's a kind of umbrella too, mm. because happiness is something resonates with all of us on some level. It's a it's a positive, it's something good, it's something we aspire yeah. to. But beyond that, what that means um, <laughs> for individuals is complex. Yes. When I did the piece of re- research that uh, I spoke about with she did do a colleague uh, accompanied me as well when I interviewed people who had fun in any job pretty mm. much they've ever had and these people range from their 30s to their 60s so there was a lot of interesting mm. yeah 
the definition we used of fun was a sense of lighthearted enjoyment. Okay. And um, so those that resonated with with those people and they recognized that there was something about themselves that was perhaps a little bit different from their peers. Uh, They, if they were working in an organization, in general, the conditions were good. Mm -hmm. Um, Some were working on their own. But for other people in that organization, they didn't always have fun at work. And there was something about unique they saw Mm -hmm. about themselves that resonated with them. And so that was the initial definition. But once we, you know, we really, I really explored with them more in depth, you know, what's going on there? How do you achieve it? What does that mean? Then it became more multi-layered. And I think, I mean, one of the things that came through, and it's come through also subsequently in market research that I've done, is that while we might, you know, we, we seek happiness, in a way, often for people, it boils down to actually a sense of purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And mm. purpose being, okay, what makes me happy? But it's important. Um, it always seems to be important, um, the mm. impact on other people as well. So I think mm. while people respond to happiness, um, there's, you know, for most people, there's much more depth there. Yeah. No, happiness is sort of superficial. Mm. Special yeah. sense, that mm. sense of purpose, uh, and also joy and what that means. It's it's mm. also it's the ups and downs of work mm. as well. Yeah, and I think purpose today we're seeing more and more people driving towards purpose in organisations. So I know there is a generational slant to that. I think you know the, the younger generations think differently. One about the workplace, two about careers, and three about their purpose. And mm. I think there's there's a big sort of the interconnectedness of the world has meant that we're now moving into more regenerative models and cycles and climate change is forcing us to look differently at our planet and what we do and how we lead it. And I think it's it's very interesting to see people, like you say, it's like an onion, isn't it? You can tell yourself you're happy, you can define happiness, but until you actually start asking yourself those questions, which are quite hard to answer and you need quite a lot of headspace don't you need as Nancy Klein always says you need time to think and I think like really think about about what your purpose is we were chatting before the show and you were saying that your clients are currently mostly women do you think women face particular challenges on this subject that men don't Mm. yes yes (sighs) but it it certainly are mostly women I I was thinking about this and I Prior to this research, I'd done another piece of research with actually the same colleague, and we had we'd interviewed people who had very loved or hated their jobs, and also, also we, you can <laughs> see extremes. a theme and yeah. what I'm interested in here. But one of the patterns that we saw, and we hadn't necessarily expected it, was seemed to be a gender related pattern. And okay. of course, this is never set in stock concrete. There are you know there are generalizations, but it was interesting. One of the the theories around enjoyment of work is that people most enjoy work when they have both a sense of challenge and competence. So mm. you might you might be familiar with this the notion of flow and mm. um, yes. positive psychology. So that we have we're challenged. It's interesting enough, but it's not so challenging that we feel overwhelmed. Mm. Um, but it's not we don't feel it's not so easy we feel bored. You know yeah. that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. Now, what we found in this piece of research was that 
This was true for men and women, but for men, there was perhaps more enjoyment in rising to that challenge, so sort of mastering it. Mm. And so when they encountered a challenge, you know, a big challenge, winning a big sales contract or that sort of thing, mm. that would excite and create enjoyment. Not that there wouldn't perhaps be doubts, imposter syndrome, all that sort mm. of thing is still real for men, but the enjoyment came more in the rising to the challenge. Whereas right. for women, mm. the enjoyment seemed to come more in the feel experience of competence. Yeah. So it wasn't that they they ran from challenge or that wasn't the case, but it was I would perhaps I would want to meet that challenge so that I then might feel competent. And that would give me the enjoyment. And I, I'm wondering if in, in doing that, there was more exploring how to feel competent yeah. may take more, maybe reflection. It's an interesting idea. How do we experience that competence? Whereas if we just focused on mastering that challenge, we're kind of more, I don't know, perhaps it's more action-based yeah rather than reflective yeah and it's really interesting because you know it comes out in studies that you do on gender diversity and things like recruitment and women will only go for a job if they have 80 85 percent of the competence and men will go with 50 or 60 not because they're less competent but because they have a different reflective process on competence and taking a new job and I think challenge is a big part of that but so I know that you have since developed a simple methodology for in inverted commas happiness at work <laughs> but it's it's for transformation really isn't it if I may because this is what we're talking about deep growth and personal transformation so which can sound quite scary and I think it is quite scary peeling the layers of that onion is is quite a scary place sometimes but could you walk us through your methodology yeah sure so what I find when I initially work with people and it, it it's the same with my own experience when we are at this point that we prob- probably we know we want to make some change but we can often feel I mm. call it it's a very technical word word stuck we feel <laughs> stuck so we want change but we can't even necessarily see what that might be what even we want let alone move into that change and so what I do with people is the aim is to start with that acknowledge that and start to there's kind of three parts to what I how I work with dope people that the methodology and so in that first part it's really acknowledging that stuckness and finding ways to become open to different possibilities mm. And as I said, we feel stuck and so what does that mean and and so it's a little bit untangling that sort of I don't know if you call it an emotion, but mm-hmm. um, there are probably lots of emotions accompanying that. And so really allowing ourselves to have a look at what is wrong here? What don't I like? And I think mm. that's that can be quite, you know, you mentioned it can be a little bit scary and it can be, particularly if we, we're used to just, you know, keeping going, being positive, you know, that sort of thing and, and, and you know, that that's what works about. We, mm. So in that first part, we take a look at, well, what don't I like here? And that's a real start to then being, because if we don't like something, it's it's likely probably that there's something very core to us and our values that has been compromised in some way. 
Mm. So that can be a key to then finding out, well, what might I like? How might I want it to be different? So, and that can turn a light bulb on for people, some people quite quickly, and they start to think, oh, wow, I can actually do things here right now. Um, I had one client who was working in fairly high senior role in communications IT and a very giving person and was always finding herself loaded up with work. And just in that process, realizing, hmm, well, actually, I am discontent here because I'm doing a lot of work that I don't want to do, but I keep saying yes to. And it just, it was just being able to focus her energies on that meant that she you know, she could then go on and, and make some decisions pretty much pretty quickly. Mm. So acknowledging how we feel, the range of emotions that we might feel, difficult emotions and difficult mm. thoughts that might be holding us back from considering our opportunities. So that first phase is yeah, moving from that stuckness mm. to starting to see possibilities. Mm. You want me to move on to the second one? Or? Yeah, I, mean, I just think we're not very good, are we, at emotional literacy? And I think particularly organizational culture, which is what we're working on currently, because we have to, in terms of making it more inclusive, is making that emotional layer of organizational culture explicit. So, you know, I think just the first step, which sounds simple, is actually quite a challenge for most people, men or women, to sort of sit there and and name those emotions before they can even move on. And that's what I'm hearing. They have to do that, Catherine, before they can move on to the second step. Is that right? Yes. And I think the interesting thing about emotions is that there's so much we can learn from them and rather than being fearful of them um, and what they might suggest to us. I mean, we might be thinking, oh gosh, if I face this, does this mean I have to change careers or leave my mm. job or you know, mm. something radical? But actually, some <laughs> when we look at our emotions and we explore what positive actions they might be suggesting, often the you know it's actually not that bad. It's it's no, you know, no, there's no. some practical things we can do. So yeah, so that first phase. And then in the second phase, it's really after we're starting to get the sense of perhaps some possibilities, mm-hmm. I call it starting to craft our perfect job. So this is drawing on job crafting literature that and just the notion that we are we, you know we can we're capable of making changes this is looking at the things we love to do really and uh, I, I do an exercise with people where they have an opportunity to explore things they've loved to do in the past that give them that sense of competence and challenge that we talked about mm-hmm. and it might be in work or outside work and exploring why they enjoy those and it can really help people to see mm-hmm. oh you know to get to know themselves and in addition we also explore assumptions that we make and I think this is a really interesting one because we might see that we would like to do something a little bit different in our work shift or change things slightly we often make assumptions about things that may or may not be possible and I Mm. did this too looking back I was like yeah I can see how this would work but my manager would never go for that that would Mm. never happen in my organization so being able to actually explore those assumptions and the beliefs behind them which Mm. Not necessarily fact. We've seen with COVID that organizations can change and change fast. Yeah. So, but when mm-hmm. we're in that stuckness, it's hard for us to see that. So, that second part is around exploring some of those assumptions, also looking at boundaries and how we mm. might establish boundaries. So, just for example, I was working with a woman who was in a role at an illegal firm in a sort of high level filing assistant role. She had that role because it fitted well with her supporting her children. 
wasn't necessarily her ideal role, but was often in the situation of feeling like she was people were coming to her and just putting things on her mm. all the time mm. in terms of roles. And she, once she was able to explore, well, there are some parts of that role I really enjoy. Mm. I'm going to get to work a little early. I'm going to do that for an hour. No one's going to interrupt me. And that sets me up well for the day. And then I'm going to explore some ways that um, yeah. I might be able to, yes, do things for other people. That's my job, but manage that a little bit more. So I'm not always feeling put on so we can negotiate this together and, you know, setting some boundaries. And so for her, that, that was really useful, but just walking through that with someone. So that's the second mm-hmm. second stage. Yeah. yeah. Which sounds simple, but it's quite large. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. assumptions are, you know, it, that's one of the hardest things, isn't it? I mean, we work on it with unco- unconscious bias. You work on it in innovation. You work on it in inclusion. You you know, stepping back from one's own mental models and, and the assumptions that of the stories you're telling yourself, I think, is is very powerful. But again, I think it's a little bit scary, which is why we need to be guided through it. But but I think, you know, assumptions are responsible for lots of stories we tell ourselves that actually when you pick them apart and you get away from that cycle of self-limiting beliefs that the assumptions can give you, I think it's very liberating whatever you do with it. So that's two massive steps, though, isn't it? Naming emotions, which we're not particularly equipped for, and, and then unwrapping assumptions and, and setting boundaries. Okay. Mm. Yes, yes, it is very powerful. And I think we, we have it all the time. We make assumptions mm. about what and what isn't possible. And some of that is, as I, say, I think you said, is to protect, probably to protect ourselves. Yeah. Because we, we make assumptions that if we did do that, oh my goodness, that's going to be pretty scary or that's going to be a lot of change. But yeah, actually facing it and exploring it, often it, then it becomes actually exciting because it gives yeah. us a little bit of power and control. Mm. Yeah, and then moving on to that third step is really around part of that is finding ways to communicate with almost anybody about anything at wow. work <laughs> so that if, we, if we're wanting to make mm. changes, it's not so scary. Do we want, you know, if we're needing to talk to our manager about our workload or, or whatever it might be or wanting to try something else, something different, that can seem pretty scary. But if we've got principles that we can use, mm. strategies mm. Um, that we, we know are tried and tested and also explore with people in, in this part of is around facing our fears mm. yeah. and uh, we can have so many fears and they, you know, they accompany any, you know, stepping out, any growth, but we also, you know, I, I encourage people to actually look back at past goals that they have achieved and to draw on the strengths that have enabled them to, to, mm-hmm. to get there, you know, and it can actually be quite an emotional when you think, my goodness, you know, even if it was like a child at school, you know, mm. I did this and this is what got me. And what I found find is that over a lifetime, people's um, strengths often are quite consistent in the things that, yeah. that actually help them to move through. So people find that really quite encouraging. And then we look at planning as well. So mm. where have we come and how might we plan going forward once the coaching process is finished mm. for you for, to put things in place? Again, what I see for people is that they're starting, you know, feeling stuck, feeling uncertain. Am I in the right place? Am I doing the right things? And by the end, they kind of feel like, actually, you know, I'm I'm better at this than I think. You know, I know mm. more about myself. I feel more confident and I can go ahead. And just one of the uh, young women I worked with, uh, she was a young academic and she was, you know, she started this process and she had, because she was a junior academic, she often had people coming to her at the last minute with projects and, and you know, not that mm. sort of thing. But one of the things she actually discovered about herself um, from the start to the finish was that she was a real team player. And so 
in some ways that kind of got her in trouble in a way because she was always saying yes and doing things for other people. But actually, by the end of it, she realized, no, actually, this is core to who I am. Mm. I, I want to be in a team. And it's very important to me to do it well and, you know, in a way that supports me as well. And at the end of the process of coaching, she had the opportunity for a full-time job in another university to go for an interview, rather. Mm-hmm. A re- on paper, a really good job. But she was a little unsure, so she, she actually rang up a friend who was working in, that, in the team as well, talked to him about her priorities, what she wanted. He got, and, and she came out of that thinking, I'm not going to apply for that job because the sense of team, that's not going to get me what I want. And so she, she chose to stay in her current role and did actually, did actually get a more permanent uh, position there. But feeling good about herself mm. at the end and being able to make that, that really practical decision about her happiness. So, yeah, and I like the fact that it's there. based on strengths, you know, that, that it's based on what we're already good at and developing that. Not that we should do only that, but often, you know, educational programs aren't based on strengths they're based on getting better at what you're not as good at so I I like the the shift to this is what you're good at and as you say when you're good at something it is normally part of your value base and and how you think and how you want to show up in these situations I'd be interested to see what is what the main challenges are you're seeing with your clients uh, across that journey because that's three very big steps with with quite a lot of depth to them Do, do you see one particular area that that is more challenging than others for them well I, I guess it's it's often making the changes, and mm. in some ways, it, the way I, I present things, very practical exercises to work through. But these people are busy people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's they've done something great for themselves in taking the time to realise I want to change and do the coaching and work through. But it's then putting those principles interaction and that in itself doesn't necessarily take extra time because you're doing it in work but to sort of just pause again and work through what we've been discussing Mm. each week and assimilate that so I think you know in a way that's one of the biggest challenges you know I had a client at the moment who said I can only do this in this one hour a week you know and um (laughs) it's the more you put in the more you get it's not that needs to be hours and hours but I think it's that learning isn't once you've learned just giving yourself an opportunity to to, to consolidate and yeah so probably one of the biggest challenges but um you know people who do do that you know you know I find Mm. um a little bit more able to (laughs) yeah consolidate the learning I guess and I think mm. we tend to get impatient don't we when when we have that light bulb and then we know what we want and then we know how we're going to get there and then well I'm talking for me but I think <laughs> I like to think that I'm not alone uh, that you, you get quite impatient about actually wanting to see the changes in in the environment you're working in and trying to change so yeah good point yeah, yeah. and what, what would your recommendations be for people looking to start this journey well I think if people are, are recognizing that they they're wanting to start this journey of transformation and change, things aren't going so well at work, either in small or larger ways. Or maybe mm-hmm. it's just that you know maybe it's they actually like their job as I did, but just starting to sense a little bit of boredom. Things might you know is to just yeah recognize that recognize those feelings mm-hmm. and that that's okay because I think even if it's something that's you know as I say you just starting to feel a little bit bored. If you go down that road. If it's like me it's it's not necessarily going to change so you what can you do differently mm. um and just yeah just to give yourself the time therefore to sit with that a little bit to pause 
<laughs> and whether that's taking a weekend off, going away, thinking about it, you know, holidays are great for that sort of thing. And, and obviously that's where coaching comes in. Mm. Just taking the time to stop and pause and giving yourself those opportunities to start to work through, really. Mm. And as we've said, I think people are busy. They want to be working hard They and all of these sorts of things. And these are, it's great to work hard, but, <laughs> well, to work well. Mm. Um, but, but, yeah, just to also recognize when you need that time, you know, to just stop, pause and think. And, mm. you know, maybe that's enough. Yeah, but then if not, to, to, to seek some support. Mm. And I think it's hard, isn't it? Because society and organisations, but society in general today, push you to do. So it's about doing more, doing more, doing more, doing more. And then we have that mm. famous do more with less. And I like the less is more discussion, but it's hard for me to get my head around sometimes because <laughs> that isn't how I've been formatted. And I think that doesn't help, does it, when you come out of that type of of coaching and you're sure of that you want to do it differently and then you get back into this hamster wheel I call it of whatever team department or community you work in where you're back faced with the the sort of everyday delivery fast-paced ways of working so I mean I know time is running but I would like to just ask you what would what therefore would your final call to action be to all those people who are sure that they're unhappy at work so and they are used to having those thoughts that they're unhappy at work mm-hmm. well I would like to just really give them some hope a sense of yeah. hope one of the things that came out of the piece of research that I mentioned with the people who got it having fun at work was that these people seem to sort of have an inherent sense of hope they enjoyment fun at work was a real priority for them but it wasn't a pie in the sky dream it was something they expected mm-hmm. and aspired to and, and got kind of got yeah. um, by taking these small actions all the time really and I think that's what it comes down to enjoying our work as we probably all know we've always probably been there at a point where like oh this is all great it doesn't necessarily stick around Um, it's an ongoing process and it's an ongoing process I think of as you see coming back to what's important and tweaking you know it happens for me I'm the same as you Mm -hmm. um I I, I've been focused things are going great and then somehow I'm busy again and I'm stressed and that and I have to stop and I have to come back to it so you have hope it's possible. Um, there are practical strategies that you can put in place to 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 make that happen. And then it's a constant process really of tweaking mm. and you know and ups and downs. But you know, there are tools. So have hope. So have hope. I'm going to leave our listeners with that then. Catherine, thank you very much for coming and sharing your thoughts and experience and research with us. Where can people find out more about you, your methodology, and what you do? Yeah, they can head to my website. So mm-hmm. that is uh, com. Happinessatworkcoach.com. So it's quite simple. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, there is a, if they'd like, I have a, a free PDF on, there on the three simple steps to enjoying any job. So feel free to download that as well and, and use that. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode and if so, please head over to iTunes and leave your review and feedback. It's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.